looking, throwing in the end zone. Montana, touchdown, John Taylor. Young to the air, young to Jerry Rice. Touchdown, San Francisco. Young stumbles on the way back and fires up the middle. Pass is caught by Owens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the 49ers Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Al Moriello, and this is your source for the most objective 49ers discussion and analysis, plus timely and entertaining sports and pop culture topics. And today, we're going to discuss the 49ers' first half of the season. We're going to give a quick recap, talk about what the Niners need to be doing better coming out of the bye Chase Young acclimating to his new team and how Nick Bosa helped during the bye week. Some potential defensive uh, players coming off of injured reserve in the pup list that may help. And then we will dive into 49ers Jaguars Sunday down in Jacksonville. In the plus section, I'm going to give first half thoughts around the NFL. I'm going to share my QB tiers and rankings for starting quarterbacks and some backups in the league, and we will conclude with Week 10 NFL picks. But like always, it starts with the Niners, so let's get right into it. Let's talk Niners! So I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Usually it's a Monday or Tuesday episode that drops, so I guess I took a little bit of a bye week uh, myself along with the Niners. But a couple quick things. Voice is a little scratchy. Started Uh, My younger son's uh, basketball team coaching had back-to-back practices Monday, Tuesday. So a little scratchy with the yelling, trying to get the kids' attention. And over the weekend, my older son's flag football team made their playoffs and the Super Bowl and wound up falling in the Super Bowl to the best team in the league. But no shame in on that. We won six games total. We've never won more than two games um, in any previous season. So kudos to the kids, the parents, the coaches. Had a great season. We'll pick it up again in the spring. In terms of picking it up again, the Niners are coming off of their bye. And you guys all know this, but let's do it for housekeeping's sake. Quick first half of the season recap. Niners starting out hot. 5-0, averaging over 30 points a game. The last three games, 0-3, averaging 17 points a game. They are currently tied record-wise with the Seahawks at 5-3. The Seahawks got obliterated at Baltimore this past weekend, but the Niners are technically ahead of them since they have a win in the NFC West or two wins in the NFC West and the Ram, uh, the Seahawks have a loss to the Rams. Something that I wanted to share, Niners are historically slow starters, right? And there is something to be said for not peaking too early, which San Francisco, I don't believe they did starting out 5-0 and because there's still nine games to go. But through eight games in the last four years, 2020, they started out 4 and 4, 2021 3 and 5, 2022 4 and 4, 2023 5 and 3. So 2020 was under Robert Sala, defensive coordinator, 2021, 2022 D'Amico Ryans and obviously this year is Steve Wilkes who has taken a lot of heat especially over the last 3 games. But they are right around if not better record-wise than what we have seen the past 3 seasons. Injuries in the first half of the season had an impact and they didn't really hit until the Browns game in week six. So Debo going out on the first drive or first play of the game still hasn't come back, but hoping to play against the Jaguars. Trent Williams getting hurt that 
that game, played through it, missed the Viking game and the Bengals game. McCaffrey got hurt in Cleveland, tried to come back and couldn't. And all that being said, still a Jake Moody missed field goal away from being 6-0. and Debo's absence has been one of the biggest detriments to the offense. And I've said this on previous podcasts. Debo's a very good receiver. Brandon Ayuk is the best receiver on the team. He is the number one receiver on the team. Debo might be, along with McCaffrey, the most versatile offensive player on the team. But without Debo in, they don't have a clear-cut number two receiver. It's not Jawan Jennings. It's not Ray-Ray McLeod. Rookie Ronnie Bell isn't getting any play. And as I mentioned, if they're elevating any veteran receivers from their practice squad, like a Willie Sneed or Chris Conley, they are hardly getting on the field. Now, you would think, or you could say, well, Ayuk, Kittle, and McCaffrey, and whoever you throw out at receiver two or three should be enough. It should. But the way Shanahan has this offense built, without Debo, you're taking away any running back carries that he would get and any short passes that he could break for, you know, seven, eight, 10, 20 yards or a touchdown. And I've said in previous podcasts, just because certain personnel is not available, that does not mean you completely wipe away certain plays in your playbook, especially if Ronnie, uh, sorry, Ray Ray McLeod is Debo's direct backup. He's a punt and kick returner, meaning he is someone that should be good in space, catching the ball quickly, making something happen. Yeah, he's what, 20 pounds lighter? So what? You know, if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. I'm not, I'm not saying he should get hurt, but... He should be able to make some people miss. He won't run through tackles like Debo, but he's faster than Debo, more agile. He can make people miss. That has not been part of the offense really at all the past three games. Brock, and we're going to get into Brock. Brock's playing well enough that he doesn't need those easy throws, but they're basically extensions of your running game. Especially if you're throwing down the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, and you're setting up blockers with your tight end, your receivers, having a lineman come in and block befuddling why that's gone just because Debo's gone. Yes, Debo can run it better or a lot better than anyone else on your team. But don't tell me no one else on the team as a receiver can run those plays. They've been struggling to run the ball. I've had stats in previous podcasts on how the running game via the running backs, and really, let's be honest, it's just been Christian McCaffrey basically all season. We're going to get into some of those stats in a little bit. It hasn't been there. And I don't think it's a McCaffrey thing. I think there's some, I think it's a Trent Williams being out thing, Debo not being there. Maybe some defenses have adjusted to how the 49ers play with McCaffrey on the field or running the ball. Are we seeing the wide zone as much? Could we incorporate runs between the tackle with someone like Jordan Mason more? Absolutely. But the 49ers, it's no surprise that the 49ers have struggled to run the ball. Now, they've been over like 100 yards and I think maybe two of the past three games, but they're not getting it over 30 carries. They're not getting productive yards or productive runs when they need them. Sometimes it's a short run or stop to the line of scrimmage, so they're playing close to behind the sticks. And that's not saying that Purdy can't dig them out of a hole, but they've been in that hole far too many times in their losses and really still been in every game. I mean, the Bengals beat them by 14, but it was what? Two points against uh, the Browns and whatever it was, six points or so against, against the Vikings and had shots 
on back-to-back drives at the end of the game with Purdy throwing interceptions. Let's just switch to the defense. Pass rush isn't getting any sacks. They're on on pace for um, nearly a a low, a season low in sacks during the Shanahan and Lynch regime. The pass defense, as we know, has gotten shredded the last two games. The run D has been marginally better, but not great. They're still like a top seven-ish run defense, top 10 overall defense, and like they got top 20 pass defense. That's got to tighten up. That's got to tighten up. And we talk about stats and pressures. Apparently, per pro football focus, the 49ers lead the NFL with 156 QB pressures. Take that for what it is, because it hasn't really led to a win in the past three games, right? Horseshoes and hand grenades, close but not close enough. And that's where someone like a Chase Young could slash should really help this defense. Getting behind has not been a staple or something where Kyle Shanahan excels. Every team in the league plays better from ahead. It's rare that teams have a winning record or coaches have a winning record when they are going into the fourth quarter losing. And I know you guys have seen the stat. I think Kyle's 1-38 or 39 uh, went down by eight or more points in the fourth. That's two scores. But he's also 1-31 when trailing by three or more points entering the fourth. A field goal-ish. Shouldn't be too much to ask from an offensive genius and a team that's got this much firepower. Granted, a bit injured the past three games. But the stats mix misleading. You can look at... Bill Belichick, over the course of his career, Sean McVay, John Harbaugh, they're all like four and mid-20s when trail going into the fourth quarter trailing. That is not a Kyle-specific stat, guys. It doesn't look good when you see it. And again, you would think the offensive genius, guru, etc. could scheme his players up to get a field goal when they need it, get a touchdown. But it's not just Kyle, right? It's getting points and then a stop on defense and not allowing your opponent to re-lengthen the lead. Now let's look at look at some stats quickly. So Brock Purdy through eight games, 2,033 yards, 68.3 completion percentage. He's averaging 254 yards per game, 12 touchdowns, five interceptions. He is on pace for 4,000 yards passing. The last time that's happened was 2,000 with Jeff Garcia. And he's, and yes, there's 17 games in the season now, but he's thrown for two, a little over 2,000 through eight games. So mathematically, another eight games would be 4,000, and whatever game 17 is would be gravy. Think about that. Think about how much less dynamic and explosive the 49ers have been the past 23 years coming off of the Montana and Young years. And those are two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's going to be hard to emulate what those two have done. Look at the Packers. You're, when you come off of Favre and Rodgers, and now you have Jordan Love, granted, in his first year, there is going to be a drop-off offensively. But 4,000 yards isn't any humongous accomplishment anymore in the NFL. 5,000 yards is, but not 4,000. And it's still been 23 years since the 49ers have achieved that. Brock Purdy, say what you will about him, is on pace to do that. Where he ranks... Completion percentage, 8th in the league. Yards per game, 10th. Um, overall rating, 2nd. QBR rating, 2nd. 
Um, touchdowns, he's tied for 11th with his 12 touchdowns. And remember, there are some players and teams that have not had a bye yet, so they played nine games. And interceptions, there are 23 quarterbacks in the league who have thrown the same number or more interceptions than Brock Purdy. So do the math. He's in the top nine, top 10 fewest interceptions in the league. And that does count some quarterbacks who have played an extra game versus Brock. And some that obviously have played eight. The turnovers were bad the past couple games. But for people that were calling Purdy to be benched, guys, Zach Wilson should be benched. Quarterback of the New York Jets. Brock Purdy should not be benched. If you think that, you are an irrational fan, a moron, or somebody who should hand in their football IQ card. Shanahan was aggravated when he was asked the question by um, a cage-rattling troll, Grant Cohn, when he thought, oh, and he, and he thought about benching Brock in the, in the bye week. He's like, no. And when followed up as to why, because there's, you don't bench a quarterback when there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with Brock Purdy. Every quarterback, quarterback makes bad decisions. He's made them. He needs to protect the ball more. Kyle knows it. He said it. John Lynch knows it. He said it. Brock Purdy knows it. And he said it. But if you don't back, if you're not going to be benching Dak Prescott last year when he led the league in interceptions, or Jameis Winston when he threw 30 picks, or Peyton Manning as a rookie when he led the league in interceptions, I know making, you know, drastic comparisons. Purdy's thrown five and eight games, guys. Relax. You're acting like, and for any females that are listening to this, I apologize, you're acting like a woman. You're acting like someone's wife. And husbands, you can relate to this. You could do 99 things right. The one thing you do wrong, you will get crucified for it. You cannot ignore all the good Brock does and just harp on and drone on the negatives like wives do. I know it's hard for fans to be rational and to look at the big picture, and maybe just the fact that I have this podcast and I have to do research every week and looking at stats and performance and going back and rewatching games since I have um, YouTube NFL Sunday Ticket, maybe I'm at a little bit more of an advantage that way. But guys, take the emotion out of it and understand that Brock Purdy is playing really, really well. Said it last podcast, the 49ers have the most efficient passing offense in the league. And Brock's the trigger man for it. Even with the last three games where he hasn't played well and they lost, they're still the most efficient pass offense in the league. And yeah, if he played better, could they be more efficient or widen the gap between them and the number two team? Sure. But Brock also is the highest rated quarterback when throwing the ball 25 plus air yards downfield. Here's your top five. Purdy. Kirk Cousins, C.J. Stroud, Russell Wilson, and Sam Howell. So that's, other than Kirk Cousins, that's a top five, or the other four, you're like, huh, that's kind of interesting. If, if anybody out there wants to spin it a different way, well, Herbert and Mahomes and Allen, and uh, they're throwing it so, you know, more, so there's more chances for incompletions and this and that. So what? 
You got to make do and make hay with the opportunities you have, whether it's 10, 15, 20, 40, however many you're throwing. Highest rated quarterback in the league, throwing it 25 yards air downfield. The dink and dunk stuff that you've been hearing from people, it's trash. Now let's talk about interceptions. And this is before Purdy got into the league. Since 20, the 2020 season started, here are the quarterbacks that have the most interceptions in the league. Josh Allen with 47, Matthew Stafford with 42, Derek Carr with 41, Patrick Mahomes with 39, Justin Herbert with 39. So 20, 21, 22, that's three full seasons and half a season. So that's, for all of them, basically 10-plus interceptions Per season, if we're going to kind of aggregate or average three and a half, it's not quite four seasons, right, guys? Three and a half. So these quarterbacks are averaging 10, 12 picks a season. Why? Well, I'll give you three reasons. And I think one of the more common sense ones is these are quarterbacks that throw a lot. The Bills, the Rams under McVay, Carr when he's with the Raiders. He's only been played half a season with the Saints. The Chiefs and Mahomes the Chargers and Herbert. They're throwing a lot. And if you're throwing a lot more than teams are a bit more bat that are a bit more balanced running the ball, there's going to be more opportunities to throw interceptions, right? But the flip side of that is and we always have to think about the flip side, if you are throwing that much more over the course of three and a half seasons, you should be maybe a bit more judicious or a bit more intelligent with your throws, more judicious with your throws, more seasoned as a passer, right? because you have more quantity of throws, that maybe that number shouldn't be that high because you're more seasoned. These are also five strong-armed quarterbacks that trust their arm maybe a bit too much, that are forcing balls into places that they really shouldn't because, oh, I got a strong arm. Allen, Stafford, Carr, Mahomes, Herbert. I'll fit it in that window. Mm, doesn't work always. And then how about just flat out bad decisions outside of Carr? I would say, you know, everybody would think that Allen, Stafford, Mahomes, Herbert, those are above average quarterbacks, right? To whatever degree you want to get into it. And we're going to get into it in the plus section. They make bad decisions. Any quarterback that's ever played in the NFL has made bad decisions. Don't tell me Brock Purdy's not allowed to. Don't tell me that when Brock Purdy makes bad decisions, he should be benched. That's stupid and moronic. And if you want to have that conversation with me, let me know so I can grab a brick and smash myself in the head with it so I can bring myself down to your intelligence level to have that discussion. Now let's get into running backs. McCaffrey, obviously the leading rusher by far. 137 carries for 652 yards, nine touchdowns on the ground. He does have 32 receptions for 292 yards and four touchdowns through the air. So that is 169 touches through eight games. He is on pace to average about 340 touches total. I've said it before. I want to beat it. I'll beat a dead drum or dead horse. Uh, seems high. And here's why. Because all other running backs on the team, running backs, not fullbacks. I'm not counting Kyle Hughes checking this. All other running backs on the team have 49 carries total combined on the year. Which means Christian McCaffrey accounts for 74% of all running plays 
between the four running backs, McCaffrey, Mitchell, Mason, and Ty Davis-Price. Way too high. There, there are even teams that have a good one-two running back rotation. No one's running at 50-50. But I can see 65-35. I can see 60-40. But 75 for McCaffrey, 74 and 26 for everybody else, skewed. And I'm not saying that any other core running back on the roster is a better one than McCaffrey. We all know they're not. But how about a different look? How about a different style of run? Whether it's Mason, maybe Mitchell could be a little bit of a power back. Mitchell's been terrible, by the way. There's no reason Mitchell should be in, in at all over Jordan Mason unless Kyle is still worried about Mason not being able to pick up pass protections. If that's the case, why was he playing so much last year? And I know Mitchell was out, but how about just productivity, guys? Jordan Mason has 21 carries on the year. 21 carries through three, through eight games. Less than three carries a game. Unacceptable. And he has no carries the last two games. That's even more unacceptable. Mason is averaging 5.6 yards per carry. Eli Mitchell is averaging 2.3 yards per carry, which is worse than Ty David Price. So if we want to go on production, there is no reason Eli Mitchell should be running back too. No reason. Let's see what Kyle does coming out of the second half or coming out of the bye for the second half of the season. Receivers, let's just talk about Ayuk. 52 receptions for 620 yards and two touchdowns. Remember, he missed a game. So this is stats through seven games. He's on pace for over 1,200 receiving yards. Hopefully, you know, five or so touchdowns. Debo's been injured. His numbers obviously are, are, are basically half of what Ayuk has put up. Ayuk is a number one receiver. Anybody telling you otherwise is wrong. He's not only the number one receiver in this offense and on this team, he is a bona fide number one receiver in this league. Is he a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson or a Cooper Cup? No. Isn't it fair to say that there's probably a scale of number one receivers? You could rank number one receivers one to 32. And Ayuk is probably somewhere between 10 and 15 or 10 and 18. That's fine. He's a number one. He's the best route runner on the team. He is the one player on San Francisco, either wide receiver-wise or as a, a receiver in general, including tight ends and running backs, that can consistently beat man coverage. He's having a great year. George Kittle's had a resurgence this season, basically since Brock Purdy has taken over. 32 receptions for 443 yards and three touchdowns. Here is your cumulative stats for all other tight ends on the 49ers roster. Ross Dwelly, one reception for 12 yards. He's been targeted two times in eight games. That's it, folks. Sound like Bugs Bunny there. That's all, folks. Are you serious, Kyle? Even with Travis Kelsey, we've all watched enough um, Chiefs games to know that Noah Gray gets involved in the passing game at tight end. Blake Bell gets involved in the passing game at tight end. And they have a fourth tight end. Uh, I can't think of who it is. Um, African-American player. He's gotten involved too. But Dwelly, Werner, we know he has problems catching the ball. But if you're telling me he can't catch like a five-yard in or some sort of a choice route five yards down, like, come on. Your, your hands can't be like Edward Scissorhands, dude. You should be able to catch. Um... Or even Braden Willis has gotten no playing time. Rookie rookie tight end out of Oklahoma, seventh round pick. 
Maybe you sprinkle him in to get a little bit more production. Jesus Christ. I mean, Kyle is so rigid. So goddamn rigid when it comes to these players and not dipping into the depth and getting other players involved to give defenses something else to think about. Debo's out. No one else really takes on his role. No one else takes on Kittle's role. No one else really uh, gets significant carries behind McCaffrey. And yes, those are all very good players. And you want those three on the field versus whoever their backups are. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's, to me, a coaching fail when you're not getting your backups involved. One, to spell your players. And two, to give defenses something else to think about. You think a defensive coordinator, a linebacker, safety, whoever, thinks that Ross Dwelly or Charlie Warner is going to do anything but maybe shit themselves when they come on the field? Or when Mitchell comes in, or Mason, or Ray Ray McLeod, Jennings, Ronnie Bell, if he ever sees the field? No. Yet, Andy Reid, no problem playing a bunch of receivers. Sean McVay, no problem. Minnesota, Justin Jefferson goes out. You got like three other receivers that are willing to pick up the slack. Come on, Kyle. You can't be an offensive guru with just a core of four players. You got more on the offense. And then the flip again to defense. So the defense, total 18 sacks through eight games. Your leaders are Bosa, Hargrave, and Drake Jackson with three each. Drake Jackson had three in the first game, none in the next seven. Secondary, 11 interceptions. They're among the league leaders. Two each by Fred Warner, Charvarius Ward, uh, Talano Hufunga, and Diamador Lenore. So a nice spread there. You got a linebacker, a safety, and your starting corners each with two interceptions. Now, Let's transition uh, specifically to Chase Young. So we've gone 25 minutes. I haven't talked about Chase Young, even though we're coming out of the bye. So <clears throat> Nick Bosa, remember, college teammate of Chase Young at Ohio State, played together for one year or less than a year because Bosa was hurt. Bosa stayed in San Francisco during the bye week to help acclimate Chase Young to the offense, which I think was great. I mean, they're friends outside of football. Uh, Bosa, I think, lives in is it either California or Florida, somewhere else in California or Florida. Stayed. I think that was. I, I'm not gonna you know throw roses, rose petals at his feet, but I think that was awesome to get an, a your running mate now at defensive end, your friend, your former college teammate to understand the offense. And Chase Young during his first press conference, when people were asking, you know, what what did you notice differently about San Francisco? Did you feel anything different coming? You know, and they weren't comparing it to Washington. But the, he said a, a, a bunch of times, culture. Culture is the big difference in San Francisco. Attention to detail. It's a winning locker room. You can feel it. The personalities, the leadership. He understands why San Francisco wins. And he has said now, being with Bosa and how they're going to team up as bookend defensive ends, he called it, he said it's going to be just like Ohio State. It's going to be a race to the quarterback. Who's going to win? Me, Nick, or someone on the inside? And the numbers on Chase Young, he's got five sacks. He comes to the 49ers. He's now leading the team in sacks. And he's never even played it down with San Francisco. Per pro football focus, he has a pass rush grade of 79.7 and a pass rush win percentage of 18.4%, which are career highs for him. Mentioned the five sacks. He has 38 QB pressures. Bosa has 24. Not saying Young is better than Bosa. They both won um, Defensive Rookie in the Year. 
when they came out of Ohio State, both in 2019, Chase Young in 2020, he is going to help. Will he start? Now, I saw something online earlier today, but it was something, I guess, like a depth chart put out by me, the 49ers communication department, and I'm sure it's going to be fluid, that it does have Chase Young starting opposite Nick Bosa. Very well could happen. You know, there's also the possibility that Young comes in on, on specific passing situations, on third downs. He Chase Young has taken on a heavy snap count workload this year, so I don't think the 49ers are worried about that. Plus, it's a bye week, so he's obviously getting, the whole team's getting some rest. We'll see if he's a starter, starter or not, but excited to see the added juice that he can bring with Bosa, with Farrell, with Jackson, with Randy Gregory. Now, one of those, I, I'm sh- I guess it's going to be Drake Jackson, honestly, is going to be inactive on game days. Or they may have five DNs active and four D tackles if they decide to activate nine of their 10 defensive linemen. But guys, and there were people complaining about the Niners aren't doing enough for the trade deadline. Again, the whole Madden effect. Madden, you can essentially trade for anybody you want. You could turn the salary cap off. That's not how stuff works, guys. You know this. Just because you want to trade for someone, you cannot coerce another GM to trade a player you want. You can't kidnap that player and bring them to your your facility. Takes two to tango. John Lynch has brought in Randy Gregory and Chase Young, about what, three weeks apart, to amplify the pass rush. You could say, hey, you know, maybe you bring in a corner. We're going to talk about corners in a little bit. This team believes in building from the line outwards on defense. I can't say anything bad about Lynch in terms of the moves he's made to solidify an area that he thought was going to be a strength, but wanted to push and strengthen further. Now, one final thing on Chase Young, this whole idea of, is he a one-year rental? Could he get resigned by San Francisco? And someone, you know, a reporter in the introductory press conference asked that, and he said, listen, I'm not thinking about that, guys. That's a ways down the road. I want to be the best teammate I can and and just build on this performance and be part of this winning program, which is obviously the right thing to say. But my answer to the question, could the Niners re-sign Chase Young, is a firm maybe. (laughs) And here's why. San Francisco currently has $39 million in cap space for this season, 2023. Whatever they don't use gets rolled over into 2024, which currently they have $1.5 million in cap space. So that gives you about $40.5 million. Let's shave that down to $35 million in cap space next year. Let's say they have to make more in-season moves this year. Maybe they restructure a contract or something. Let's just be more conservative. Let's take 10% off and say $35 million of cap space next year. We have to look at the, the... Commander's other defensive end that they traded, Montez Sweat, was traded to the Bears for a second round pick. He has a cap hit of $25 million for each of the next four years. All right, so that's probably where Young's going to come in, right? Like Montez Sweat's actually having the better year than Chase Young. He's a more durable player than Chase Young, doesn't have the injury history. Chase Young's agent isn't going to give a shit about that. They're going to, and I don't even, I hope it's not Drew Rosenhaus because he gets the most for his clients, which is awesome. 
Um, but for me, wanting potentially wanting Chase Young back, like, hey, take a little bit of a discount. Take a little bit less than Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat has better numbers than Chase Young. So Young will probably come in somewhere in the, in the mid to low 20s. Unless there's a team that's got a ton of money and just needs a pass rusher, they can maybe offer him close to 30. Who knows? But here's how they can keep Chase Young. The franchise tag for a defensive end next year is $20.4 million. So, okay, you franchise Chase Young, you keep him for another year, now you have $15 million worth of cap space. And, and that's, that's even beyond the Niners maybe trying to work out a deal that lowers his cap hit from 20.4 in, in year one to maybe $10 million or something more reasonable. And then it obviously balloons in the back end. But let's just say they franchise tag him. 20.4 guaranteed on the books. The Niners have $15 million in cap space. Now that doesn't preclude the Niners from trading him. Remember, they, if they want to get a return on their investment, they can tag him and trade him. There's going to be people that want Chase Young. And I don't think there was anything in the trade from Washington to San Francisco that precludes the Niners from using a franchise tag. And there's no player on the team who's a free agent in 2024 after this season that they would remotely use a franchise tag on. So they got it. They got their in-season potentially rental or long-term piece. Use that franchise tag. So again, let's go back to it. $15 million now in, ca- in salary cap space. Brandon Ayuk, they picked up his fifth-year option. He counts $14 million on the cap next year. If they extend Ayuk, and they should, that frees up $10, more mil- $10 million more. So now you're at $25 million of cap space with Ayuk signed and with Chase Young signed. Let's go to Randy Gregory. The trade they made with the Broncos, they brought him in. He has, I think, two or three years left on his contract. I think maybe it's two after this year. $14 million. It's all base salary each year. None of it is guaranteed. They cut Randy Gregory. They don't owe him anything. Let's say they restructure. They like Randy Gregory as a rotational piece because that's what he is. He's not a starter. He's a rotational piece. He's 30 or 31 years old. He's not worth $14 million a year. The Broncos are morons for giving him that. And they're morons in a good way that they're basically paying $13 million of his salary this year. The Niners are only on the hook for about a million dollars or less. Let's say they just cut that number in half. They work out an extension with Gregory. They like him as a rotational piece. Counts $7 million against the books. Now we're at... $32 million in cap space with Young franchised, with Ayuk extended, and with Randy Gregory restructured. Then, if you want to, you can extend Kittle, Warner, Greenlaw, and or McCaffrey. All right, I don't think they're going to do all of it, but you can extend some of these players to lower their cap hits. And if you extend Kittle, that saves $10 million. You extend Warner, that saves $11 million. You extend Greenlaw, that saves $5.5 million. You extend McCaffrey, that, ex- that saves $8.7 million. I don't think they're going to extend all of them. And if they don't extend any of those four, like I said, $32 million in cap space with Chase Young franchised, with Ayuk extended, and Randy Gregory restructured. Keep going back to conversations about, I know, seeing online, well, the Niners, you know, the Niners are probably going to trade Ayuk because they already have Debo at $25 million a year, and Ayuk's going to probably want the same amount. And, and yeah, he, he deserves the same amount. 
Debo gets his value on being more versatile. Ayuk has his value on being a number one receiver and a very, very good route runner. To me, if you have to make the choice, they trade Debo, not Ayuk. They're not going to, though. But for anybody that's saying, oh, you got to trade Ayuk and not Debo, how much Debo missed a lot of time last year? Debo's missed time this year. He's just not, a, he's a valuable piece, but not as good of a receiver as Ayuk. However, everybody, they shouldn't trade either one of them. I just laid out for you how this can work financially. And look at teams like the Chargers. Chargers gave Herbert a ton of money. They have Eckler, although he's coming off of, this is his last season. I think he was making six and a half or $7 million. They may re-sign him or decide to go, they may go cheap at, at running back. But Herbert, Keenan Allen making a ton of money as receiver one. Mike Williams, even though he's hurt, got re-signed. Ton of money as receiver two. Joey Bosa at defensive end, ton of money. Khalil Mack at defensive end, ton of money. There are teams that have multiple star players that can fit who they want when they get creative with the salary cap. People that say the salary cap's not a real thing and, and, it, and it's bullshit. No, 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 guys. It's a real thing. You just need creative enough people to structure money so that you have big hits from certain players in year one. Versus year two, year three, year four. You can spread out the sizable salaries, guarantees, whatever you want, if you do it the right way. And I trust Parag Marath to do that um, with the 49ers. And I, there's a path to keeping Chase Young, guys. I laid it out for everybody. I think it's very, very doable. And if he doesn't want to be here and doesn't want to play in the franchise tag, they can trade him and maybe get a first-round pick for him. They should play hardball with him and, and not be nicey-nice and not tag him. They should tag him at the least and then figure out how they can work out something long-term. And even if it's just, they're obviously all in this year, guys. If they tag Young and and even if they don't re-sign Ayuk, although they should, extend Ayuk, they're all in for next year also, right? And they can keep doing this until they have to pay Purdy, assuming he stays on this trajectory while, as becoming their franchise quarterback and someone who's going to be making... 35, 40 plus million dollars a year. And lastly, about this whole re-signing salary cap next year thing. The 49ers have 45 players under contract next year. That's, that is counting Randy Gregory. That's not counting Chase Young. They do have some free agents. I didn't look at the free agent list to see who would be a need to have them back. But I can go into that in a later podcast. 45 players under contract. It's a 53-man roster, right? So that means of their 11 draft picks, if they make eight draft picks and those eight draft picks make the roster or say seven draft picks make the roster, an undrafted free agent, then you got your 53. Then you're just making free agent signings and undrafted free agent signings to get to your 90-man training camp roster. And those are generally non-guaranteed um, salaries, right? Because really only your top 53, top 51 salaries will ultimately count when the season starts. So if this was a team that only had 35 players under contract and they needed another 18 legit players to field a 53-man roster next year, problem. The fact that it's 45 and they really just need eight players, eight core good players to round out your 53 leaves them in really, really good shape. Ayuk should be staying. Debo should be staying. Gregory should be renegotiated if he plays well the next nine games and Chase Young, barring injury or any sort of ridiculous fall off, could be franchised. It can all fit 
and still leave you with 20, 25 plus million dollars of cap space when all is said and done. It's doable, guys. So now let's transition to some defensive help that might be on the way. So the 49ers opened the practice windows of cornerback Samuel Womack, cornerback Daryl Luter, rookie fifth round pick, and rookie defensive end Robert Beal, um, fifth or sixth round pick. So their practice windows are open. So Womack and Womack and Beal were on IR. Luter was on the physically unable to perform list, suffered like a deep knee bruise in training camp. And now three months, God, three months later, um, he's ready to go. I think I, I could probably heal faster than him. That's a little odd to me. But so here's the, here's the thing. People are making a big deal of like, oh, we got three people coming back. No, you don't. Because right now you have 53 people on your active roster. Womack, Luter, and Beal are not technically on the active roster. So if you bring all three of those players back, you got to cut three or put three on IR or something. I think what happens most logically is Samuel Womack comes back maybe as soon as the Jaguar game. So the practice window, I believe, is three or four weeks. So they have time. So I would say if Womack is ready, bring him back for the Jaguars. You got to cut somebody because now you're at 54 players on your roster. To me, it's Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. He's not signed after this, this season. I would not cut Jalen Grammer D. Winters, your two rookie linebackers. You have them cheap and under contract for the next four years, I would release Flanagan Fowles. If you want to get a little crazy, maybe you want to release Brandon Allen as your number three quarterback and bring him onto the practice squad. But they got to release somebody. This is why all three aren't coming back. And of the two corners, if they're equally healthy, there is no way with Kyle's freakiness about not wanting to play a rookie unless you absolutely have to. And the only rookie that's really getting playing time is Jake Moody. And that's because he's a kicker and there's only one kicker on your team. If it's between Womack and Luter, there's no way they're bringing in a rookie corner who has not played preseason or any regular season games to give him meaningful snaps down the stretch when they're trying to make a playoff push and win the NFC West. No way. And Robert Beal, not that he's made irrelevant, but Randy Gregory, uh, and Chase Young are in along with Bosa and and Farrell and Jackson. Are, are you gonna are you gonna put ja- Drake Jackson on IR and bring in a rookie who ha- again played sparsely in the preseason and has never played a pro snap in the regular season in his career? No. But what I think they do is bring Womack back this week, keep Luter and Beal practicing for as long as their window stays open, say another three weeks, because who knows? Someone could get injured at corner. Someone could get injured at DN that may have to go on long-term or short-term IR. So you have that body basically on layaway on the shelf that you can bring in if needed. But there's still a possibility that not all three gets activated. Remember also the Niners only have four cornerbacks right now on their active roster. It's Charvarius Ward, Lenore, Isaiah Oliver and um, Ambry Thomas and Womack. If he becomes the one that's activated for the Jaguars and on the 53 man roster could get a look at nickel because Oliver, it ain't working. What did I say guys? Last podcast, last four games quarterbacks have attempted 20 passes at Isaiah Oliver's direction at slot corner and they've completed all 20. Tell me how it could be worse if you put anyone in there, say it's Samuel Womack. 
If a quarterback goes 21 for 21 or 22 for 22 over four games, I doubt it. Oliver's a big corner, good tackler, but has not been able to show that he's someone that you're going to trust. And on the season, QBs are completing almost 88% of passes in his direction. Crazy numbers. Could it get worse? Yeah, if, if Womack gets handsy and there's incomplete passes, but it's an illegal contact or a hold or a pass interference, that could get bad. But from a, a strict completion standpoint, man, they can do better. And I think Womack could do better in the slot if he is elevated to the 53 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's a nice transition to the 49ers visiting Jacksonville on Sunday, 1 o'clock Eastern time. The Niners opened up as a two and a half point favorite, <coughs> excuse me, which I found surprising. Jags six and two, Niners five and three. Jags have won five straight. The Niners have lost three straight. But let's just kind of go over the tail of the tape. So Jacksonville, as I mentioned, six and two, started one and two, lost to Kansas City and Houston, then rattled off five straight wins, beating Atlanta, Buffalo, Indianapolis, New Orleans, and Pittsburgh. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence in his third year. You know, let's go through some of the stars. Nine touchdowns, four picks on the year. Has played in eight games. Not great. Travis Etienne at running back, uh, 583 rushing yards and seven touchdowns, 266 receiving and one touchdown. Going on to the receivers, Christian Kirk leads the way, 520 yards and three touchdowns. Calvin Ridley, 451 and two touchdowns. And Evan Ingram at tight end is actually the most targeted receiver on the team. He has 434 yards and no touchdowns. Defensively, they're led up front by their edge rushers, Josh Allen, nine sacks. Trayvon Walker, the second-year player, Three and a half sacks and cornerback Darius Williams has three interceptions. Where the Jaguars rank offensively 14th overall, passing 14th, rushing 14th, and points 10th, scoring 24.1 points a game. Defensively, they're number 23 overall. They're ranked 30th against the pass, giving up 263.5 yards per game. Very good against the run, ranked number three, 79.3 yards a game. And overall in points allowed, they are ninth, giving up 19.5 per game. San Francisco, where did their stats, where are they rankings at the midway point? Offensively, fifth overall, eighth passing, fifth rushing, and four in points scored at 27.3. Defensively, they are 10th. Pass defense, obviously the worry, 19th, allowing 228.9 passing yards a game. Rush defense, even with some slip-ups, they're fifth, allowing 86.1 yards a game. And points allowed, they are fourth, allowing 17.5. So, at least statistically here, what jumps out to me is the 49ers with Debo Samuel back, and they're still unsure about Trent Williams. They haven't made, well, it's only Wednesday. They haven't made any sort of declaration. I believe he's still questionable for the game. The Niners need to exploit the Jaguars' pass defense. Uh, Niners are passing for 243 a game. The Jags are letting up 263, split the difference. Purdy should be going for at least 250 this game, the pass rush is not even with 
Allen and Walker. It is not a strong pass rush in terms of number of sacks. So I think the Niners, even without Trent Williams, although Trent would be a significant boost, should be able to hold their own. It looks like the Niners may have some difficulty running the ball against this Jacksonville front, unless schematically Shanahan comes out with either different personnel, different play call, getting back to the wide zone, trying to run power between the tackles, perhaps with different personnel. And what's funny, when you flip it around, when the Jags are on offense, they're a middle-of-the-pack pass offense, 228.9 yards per game, but that's exactly what the Niners give up, 228.9 yards per game. Now you know, now watch, Trevor Lawrence is going to go over 300. Watch him just have a field day. Third receiver, Zay Jones, is questionable. But Jacksonville's got some weapons, man, between Kirk and Ridley, Ingram, Lawrence, ATN out of the backfield. They have weapons that I think could give the 49ers problems. Trevor Lawrence has been sacked 19 times. So that's, I mean, two and a half times a game. Let's see if this revamped front four with Chase Young and this defensive end rotation can get to him. Let's see what Steve Wilkes decides to do. Is this going to be a defense that's going to go back to to the Sala and D'Amico Ryan's days of all gas, no breaks, pin your ears back, get to the quarterback, worry about stopping the run later? Are they going to rush four? They're going to rush four the majority of the time. How often will Wilkes bring a fifth or sixth pass rusher? Because it all starts up front, and that's going to be an issue for San Francisco, too. You know, Allen and Walker versus the Niners' tackles, I mentioned that I think McKivitz, and even if it is Jalen Moore at left tackle, could be able to hold up. But this is a pass-rushing duo that has given teams problems, and Jacksonville plays a 3-4, so their edge rushers are their linebackers. And playing a 3-4 generally gives teams and offensive lines problems because you don't usually know where that fourth or fifth rusher is going to come from. It's easy when you're lining up four. When you have four down linemen, you know they're coming. It's a matter of, are they coming straight at you? Are there going to be any stunts? Anything that would adjust their rush angle? But Jacksonville has been able to get after the quarterback. Ken, Warner, Hufunga, or their zone contain... At least the tight end, Evan Ingram. Kirk and Ridley are going to win their one-on-one bat matchups or find holes in the zone. Hopefully not with um, frequency or, you know, a, a whole lot. But can the 49ers secondary and linebackers limit the explosive plays? Can they even maybe take one of these receivers away? Maybe limit them to two or three catches? Jacksonville can be explosive. Lawrence really hasn't put together, he's had some nice games, but a huge game yet. Not to say that he needs a huge game to beat the 49ers, but God, coming off of the bye in the last three games, this better not be the get-right game for for Trevor Lawrence specifically. ETN's going to get his yards. Kirk's going to get his yards. Ridley will get his. Hopefully Ingram just gets some. The four, there's not one specific person that the Niners have to key on. If they're gonna, if Wilkes is gonna look at anybody, maybe you try to take ETN away, but that means you make a concerted effort to stop the run, which is gonna leave you exposed in your secondary. That's why for this team, the past you know five years, it's always been about pass rush. The quarterback 
is the player that you want to take away because everything stems from him getting his receivers involved, getting his running back out of the backfield involved, or even having the running back or the running game be a, be a factor if Jacksonville or anybody San Francisco is playing is playing from behind. Debo looks to be healthy or healthy enough to play. What is his involvement going to be? Are we getting back to screens? Are we getting back to quick throws to the receivers? Are we going to force feed your stars? Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, and McCaffrey. You know the handoffs are going to be force-fed to McCaffrey. I'm not, I'm not worried about the volume that McCaffrey is going to have on the ground or in the air. But I do think for San Francisco to win this game, if Jacksonville is going to hold down the fort in terms of a run defense, there's going to be maybe a little bit more on Purdy this game than other. I mean, there, there was a lot on Purdy the last couple of games when they got behind. And if you want to say he failed, he didn't bring him back, or Jake Moody missed a field goal, or the Bengals stuff, whatever. If they're not going to be able to run the ball, because that's what Jacksonville does well, Purdy and Shanahan need to target Kittle, Ayuk, Debo at least seven or eight times, and McCaffrey at least five times. Figure out how you want to get Jennings involved, or if it's McLeod, or Bell, or God forbid, another tight end, or another running back on the ground. I want to see plump, targeted stat lines for your four major weapons. And if the running game is there and it can complement what you're doing passing or vice versa, fantastic. But make your give your stars opportunities to be stars. Don't throw into double coverage. Don't force anything. But I would have a hard time believing that Shanahan cannot find ways to get Debo Kittle and Ayuk open and obviously McCaffrey out of the backfield. 30 carries plus is the magic number. It's usually 40. When the Niners run the ball 40 times, they have a very high win percentage. I don't think they're going to get to 40. I think over 30 would be awesome. Over 35 would be more than awesome. But if you're going to do that, you can't be giving it to McCaffrey, obviously, 30 times. How is the running back usage going to look different than the first eight games? Kyle, it's got to look different. Now, in terms of a score prediction, maybe I am buying into the Chase Young hype and what he could do for that D-line and by cause and effect, the secondary as well. I think this is going to be a close game. You know, the Niners lost by 14 to Cincinnati, but they, you know, they didn't get blown out of the water, obviously, by Cleveland or Minnesota. And when they lose, they generally don't lose big. So I do think this is going to be a close game. I'm hoping Samuel Womack is healthy, that he can start in the slot in place of Isaiah Oliver. Now maybe it'll be a little, maybe just getting him activated and rotating him in with Oliver because he hasn't played you know a meaningful game in in over two months. Maybe that's a little bit wishful thinking. But I think a back and forth game, San Francisco wins twenty four to twenty three, and this is more so for San Francisco than Jacksonville because I think Jacksonville is really just gonna run away with the AFC South. The 49ers need this game. Yes, they have Tampa Bay coming up next week. Tampa Bay has been playing better than probably anybody expected or predicted. And they have weapons on the outside and Godwin and Evans. That's going to give the 49ers secondary some fits, 
But after Tampa, then they're at Seattle and at Philadelphia, which means this is the third quarter of the season. First quarter, they went 4-0. Second quarter, they went 1-3. This begins the third quarter. Even though there's 17 games, we'll say that the fourth quarter is five games, whatever. These next four, Jacksonville, Tampa, Seattle, and Philly, you got to go 2-2. Two two. I don't have a lot of hope in the Philly game. I have slightly more hope in the Seattle game. Feel pretty good about Tampa. This one could be tricky. If they lose, all is not lost by any means. But this is a game, knowing what's upcoming, that San Francisco needs. Now, after Seattle and Philadelphia, then you have the Cardinals and the Rams, uh, the Seahawks again, the Commanders. Um, I'm forgetting about what the what the fifth game is going to be. But it, it eases up after you get out of Philadelphia. But don't make it that you're six and five going into your last five and really probably needing to go four and one to either make a wild card or win the division. Give yourself a little bit of cushion. This is a good Jacksonville team. This is in no way, shape, or form a team to be taken lightly at all, all right? Six and two at all. But this is a winnable game, and I want to believe in Chase Young, and I want to believe in what Steve Wilkes is going to do defensively maybe a bit differently, and believe in Kyle and what he can do to get this offense going, especially if you're getting a bit healthier with Debo and hopefully Trent Williams, that they get the win in Jacksonville. So that concludes the 49ers section of the podcast. Stay right here. We're going to go over some thoughts I have on the first half of the NFL season. We'll, we'll breeze through each division. I'm going to share my quarterback tiers and share with you who exactly is elite in the NFL, and make Week 10 picks. Stay with us. It's plus time. All right. NFL season at more or less the midpoint. Nothing super crazy um, from any team that is really doing the unexpected, but let's just kind of go through the divisions and quickly, you know, talk about what's happening. So in the AFC East, you know, you figured it was once Aaron Rodgers got hurt, it was going to be a two-dog fight between the Dolphins and the Bills, Miami 6-3, and three, Buffalo 5-4. and four. You know, Another one of those situations where both of those teams, one week looks like world beaters, another week is just very, very beatable. Miami up a game, Buffalo won the first head-to-head matchup in Buffalo. Miami wants to make it a track meet and two is a very... Accurate quarterback in Mike McDaniel's system. And Buffalo signing Leonard Fournette at running back. They just need to be more balanced. It can't all be on Josh Allen. I don't want to say he's not good enough to carry a team, but has it worked yet so far, Bills? Have you gotten to a Super Bowl? Have you gotten to more than one AFC championship game? And you've got a pretty darn good defense, even though Tredarius White is done for the year. The Jets at 4-4. Four and four. Kudos to Coach Robert Sala for getting this team to 4-4 four and four after the Rodgers injury. They won that week one game against the Bills, had some nice wins, pulled off a miracle against the Giants, and then just completely crapped the bed against the Chargers. The Zach Wilson experiment should be over. Don't wait to put Trevor Simeon in until the season is lost. You are fighting for a wild card spot. There are... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams with four or five wins. You're right there, Jets. You can't wait on Zach Wilson any longer. You can't. He is what he is. He's not a good quarterback. 
I'm not saying Trevor Simeon is, but the Jets have eight offensive touchdowns in eight games. Chances are it's not going to get worse than that with Simeon and Salas being very stubborn. And I think, I wonder if this is coming from the GM, Joe Douglas, or from Woody Johnson in management. If you honestly think that Zach Wilson gives you the best chance to win, then there's something wrong with you or, and or I just don't like being lied to. And how can you go into the locker room every week after a game with that defense and say you're really, you're really putting your best effort out there in offense if it's Zach Wilson? He's shit. You got to move on. And speaking of shit, the Patriots at two and seven. Rumors about Belichick, you know, maybe not being there next year, and Bob Kraft may want to go another direction, especially if the Patriots draft a quarterback. Bill O'Brien does not help that offense. Failing upward, Josh McDaniel, who got fired from the Raiders, is probably going to find and weasel his way back to New England if Belichick is there next year. Then Belichick will probably leave or get fired, and McDaniels will be coach of the Patriots. Failing upward, Josh McDaniels. That's just my prediction. I think it kind of seems pretty logical, at least finding its way back to New England. In the North, the Ravens, 5-2, the Bengals, 7-2. Steelers, Browns, and Bengals, 5-3. Bengals coming on now, obviously, with Burrow being healthy. The Browns, Deshaun Watson's back. Defense has, has looked really, really good at times, like against the Niners and against the Cardinals last week, although they played a rookie quarterback, and then they got lit up by, by the uh, Colts. Cleveland still has a very good defense, but we'll see if Deshaun Watson can make that push. And I think the worst team in the division, honestly, is, is the Steelers. I don't think many people are going to argue with that. Kenny Pickett not having a great second season. The defense is playing well. George Pickens at receiver is aggravated and he wants to be cut. He's obviously not going anywhere. I think when it's all said and done, Pittsburgh's probably going to bottom out at like maybe an eight or nine win team, which isn't terrible. I just don't think it's going to be enough wins to get them into the playoffs. And Baltimore, now that they've, you know, looked really good the last two weeks, destroying Detroit, they destroyed Detroit, went to Arizona, won by a touchdown, and then destroyed Seattle. Let's not get too high on the Ravens, guys, right? There was that Dolph, that, that Cardinal game in between, but they're in nice position in the North. In the South, it's Jacksonville and everybody else. Jags, again, they're not getting stellar play out of Trevor Lawrence um, or their defense as a whole, but they are 6-2. and two. Houston, good for them, man. If they found their quarterback in C.J. Stroud, and it's only eight games in. Well, well done. And D'Amico Ryans has that team playing hard, just like the Colts. They lost Anthony Richardson, although if they had Anthony Richardson, they might not be four and five. Gardner Minshew is playing relatively well, and the Titans are going to be in rebuild mode. Derrick Henry's Derrick Henry's not under contract next year. He'll be gone. It's going to be Will Levis. And I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, I think, is only on a one-year deal. We'll see what the Titans look like. Early returns on Will Levis are good. But seeing people say, oh, they found their quarterback for the next 10 years, slow down. And the West is what we thought the West was going to be, right? The Chiefs at 7-2 and two, uh, looked good, went to uh, Frankfurt over the weekend, beat the Dolphins 21-14. to 14. Chargers are always going to hover around 500. Um, the Raiders are 4-5. and five. We'll see if rookie Aiden O'Connell and uh, head coach, interim head coach Antonio Pierce give them a, a spark after beating the Giants and the Broncos three and five, you know, they could be worse. Take a look at Russell Wilson's stats. This is not Russell Wilson's fault. The defense is terrible. Sean Payton needs to address that in the off season. It's I think what Vance Joseph is the D coordinator. That's not going to work, but Russell Wilson is something like maybe 14 touchdowns and four interceptions. Like he, he's playing well. He's not dynamic. They're getting the running game going. They're going to be the, the worst team, them or the Raiders, when the AFC West uh, finishes up. 
but they still gave up too much for Russell Wilson, but he's had a nice bounce back season so far. In the NFC, after Philadelphia held off Dallas, they're eight and one, uh, two and a half games up on the Cowboys in the East. Looking good, but not looking dominant. They don't care. You know, you got to win ugly, but they are, I think they're a far cry away from the dominant team that we saw last year. They'll win the East, you know, barring something catastrophic. They still got to go back to Dallas. They play Seattle. They play the Niners. I mean, they play the Chiefs. So they've got, they've got some games, but I would be surprised if they don't come out of the East. Dallas looks like a wild card team, you know, got thumped by the Niners. Then they wind up beating um, the Chargers. Um, beat the Rams, who are garbage, and then they, they, you know, they played Philadelphia well, but just not enough to beat them. Dallas is going to be a wild card team. They may be a 10, 11 win, you know, wild card team. There's no shame in that. Commanders at four and five. I think they found a quarterback in Sam Howell. Eric Bieniemy's offense seems to be working for him. I don't know what they were doing trading away both of their starting defensive ends. You would think maybe one of them they'd want to sign or franchise or extend or something. Felt like a give up move on the season, even though they're still in the in the thick of it, maybe the, the bottom part of the thicket in the wild card race. And the Giants at two and seven. Listen, there's been injuries. Daniel Jones missed time with the, the neck. Now he's done with the ACL. Saquon Barkley missed time. Everybody anointing Brian Dable as the next great coach. Guys, let's can we give everything more than eight weeks, more than 16 weeks, more than a full season? before we know who people are. If Dable was as good of an offensive coordinator as everyone says, he would have found ways to get more out of Tyrod Taylor and Tommy DeVito. They would have been able to use all these weapons they have, Darren Waller and Jalen Hyatt, Wandale Robinson, Darius Slayton, a whole bunch of number two and three receivers. Everybody misjudged the Giants' talent. Everybody, well, let's not say everybody. A vast majority of people knew they were going to take a step back from what they were last year. They won a lot of close games, got the Vikings in the first round, and won. With DeVito starting at quarterback, they could really finish 2-15. and 15. Now, Matt Barkley's his backup. If you want to say Matt Barkley's better just based on experience, sure. This is probably no more than a four-win team, and they will be in the race to draft a quarterback should they want to. And see what they have in Daniel Jones next year coming off. Now the eight, now it's the ACL. He might not be ready till midseason. So Giants have a lot to figure out. They're really bad. Uh, the North, good for the Lions, six and two. Goff playing well. The running game, the offensive line, the defense playing well. The the Lions are a good six and two team. Naturally, they got smacked in the mouth by the Ravens. So everybody's just got to slow their roll before we're announcing best teams in each conference. And look at Minnesota, five and four. Kirk Cousins goes down. Uh, the quarterback that was supposed to play last week against the Falcons went down. Josh Dobbs comes in, traded from the Cardinals, less than a week in Minnesota, comes in, goes 20 for 30, throws a couple touchdowns, and I think runs for about 50 yards. Josh Dobbs, Jet fans, Josh Dobbs was more functional being with the Vikings for six days, then Zach Wilson has been functional being with the Jets for three off seasons. Cut bait. He just doesn't have it. It should be Trevor Simeon time, but good for Josh Dobbs keeping the Vikings afloat. Packers three and five. Jordan Love, just like maybe the epitome of an average quarterback or slightly below average. Not a good team. And the Bears, 
Going to be in position to have maybe two of the top three or four picks in the draft. They're two and seven. They're going to be battling with the Giants and the Cardinals and the Panthers actually don't have a first round pick. And they're going to move on from Justin Fields. There's no, I mean, there's no reason to keep Justin Fields if you can get, he's just not, he's not a winning quarterback and the team's not good enough to make him a winning quarterback. Draft a quarterback who can move and run, not an athlete who struggles at playing quarterback. The South, the Saints, I thought would win that division. It's five, they're five and four. Derek Carr has been okay. The offense has struggled mightily at times, even with all the weapons that they have. And the defense has really been what's kind of kept them in some games. Atlanta right behind them at four and five. The Desmond Ritter experiment at quarterback is over. It's Taylor Heineke. They're getting the running game with Bijan Robinson, specifically uh, Algier as the backup. Falcons, again, feisty, playing better than expected. Same with Tampa, even though they're three and five. Mayfield, I think, has been a pleasant surprise, facilitating the ball to Evans and Godwin. Kate Otten at tight end. The defense has been okay. And Carolina is who we figured Carolina was going to be. They traded a first-round pick. They traded DJ Moore up to get Bryce Young. It makes sense to get the quarterback if it's the right quarterback. And right now, a lot of right words, it looks like C.J. Stroud was the right quarterback. And that's who head coach Frank Reich wanted based on reports. And he was overruled by Panthers management. Again, we're just eight or nine games in. Let's see how the rest of the year progresses and into next year as well. You don't really know about players or quarterbacks until like year two or three. So early returns are a thing, but we don't know for sure if the Panthers made a mistake. And in the West, the Niners tied atop the West with the Seahawks. We went over a whole lot of Niners stuff. Seattle could be a good team, but then they could just get rolled and steamrolled by a team like the Ravens. They, I think, I think Seattle is going to probably wind up being a nine or 10 win team. And if San Francisco doesn't watch out, then they could be hovering around that also. And the, and the NFC West could be closer than many anticipated before the season starts. The Rams after a decent start with Stafford. Now he's banged up. He's going to start this week, but Carson Wentz was signed as the backup. Hey, Jets, another quarterback you could have had. Signed the day after Aaron Rodgers got hurt, but no, because either Zach Wilson's ego, your horrendous evaluation of quarterbacks, your general manager, or your ownerships not understanding that Tim Boyle should not be on an NFL roster. He was what, 1 in 12, 1 in 13 at University of Connecticut, not exactly a football powerhouse. It always keeps coming back to the Jets because they could be they could be so much more competitive than they are but they're just stupid. They're going to die on the Zach Wilson Hill. And many of MILFs have died on the Zach Wilson Hill, prego or not. And lastly, the Cardinals, 1-8, traded Dobbs away. Kyler Murray, it looks like he's coming back this week. I, I mean, I guess you, you have to play him. I mean, you could play the tank card and get rid of Kyler Murray if you want to, or he's your franchise quarterback in the draft and free agency, you just build around him. But the Cardinals have a whole lot of nothing going on right now at one and eight. So that's the quick look first half around the league. Now, what I wanted to do was just discuss quarterback tiers. I teased this in previous podcasts and I put together my list. Once when we get into each tier and I read off the quarterbacks, that is not in rank order. These are just the quarterbacks that are in the tier not in any preferential order. And the first tier we're going to start with is elite. And that tier contains Patrick Mahomes and nobody else. 
Patrick Mahomes, guys, is the only elite quarterback in the NFL. Elite is a word that gets thrown around way too much, and it's watered down the meaning. When there's a discussion 10, 15 years ago, if Eli Manning was elite, that's when you know maybe we should come up with another word above, above elite, like super fantabulous, to actually capture the quarterbacks that are so much more talented and on another level than everyone else. Mahomes has the arm, has the playmaking ability, has uh, the football IQ. He can elevate his team. They're not playing with great receivers. And we saw week one at home against Detroit, not having Kelsey, how much that hurt him. But I think the receiving core around Kelsey has gotten more experienced and grown. And Mahomes is the only quarterback on this list that by himself can beat you. He's the only quarterback that's elite. And I want to say this now, I'm going to say it later once we get to other tiers. There is a difference between having elite football traits, elite quarterbacking traits, whether it's a big arm, being able to run, being able to process. That's a that's an elite trait. Brock has it. Nobody mentioned it because it's not sexy. You don't see the processing. You see the howitzer of an arm, the bullets you can throw. You can see the runnings, the, the speed. You can see how big and strong a quarterback is. You don't see the processing. You see the end result of the processing, which is a completion or not, but you don't see how quickly a quarterback can take stuff in. You can have elite traits, but being an elite quarterback is a different thing, and it is only Mahomes. Under the elite ranking or under the, the elite tier, there's great. And great quarterbacks are Joe Burrow and nobody else. Joe Burrow has the it factor. He has the moxie. He has the that intangible wanting to win, making people better, playing through a calf injury, a good arm, accurate, been to a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow is that guy. Why is he not elite? Hasn't won a Super Bowl? Doesn't have the arm Mahomes does. Mahomes has more escapability, can do a little bit more uh, off target, and Mahomes can do more with less than Burrow does. Look who Burrow's had basically every year but his rookie year. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. They had C.J. Uzama at tight end. I think it's Irv Smith Jr. this year. He has weapons. I do think Joe Burrow is a great quarterback, but if you're going to knock Purdy for the weapons that he has around him, then we can ask the question fairly, how good is Joe Burrow really if he wasn't on the Bengals? If he was on the Giants, would they be 2-7, and 3-6, and 4-5? and five? Maybe he's good for one or two more wins if he's on the Bears, the Panthers, the Cardinals. It's fair to say, if you want to knock Purdy or any quarterback because, well, they're, they're a system quarterback or they're only good because of the weapons they have around them, Look who Joe Burrow's had around him weapons-wise. Yes, they've had issues with the offensive line. Super Bowl year, they fixed that somewhat. It's hard to fix entirely. Ask the Giants, ask the Jets, or any team that has offensive line issues. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback, and he has more of an ability to win a game on his own or put it on his arm or on his head, his shoulders, his legs, whatever, more so than the quarterbacks I'm going to name in the next tier. Elite, Mahomes, no one else. Great, Burrow, no one else. Now we're getting into very good. Josh Allen, 
Tua Tungvailoa, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, and Kirk Cousins. They are all very good, really, really good quarterbacks, but they're not great quarterbacks. They all have warts. Josh Allen, careless with the ball. Wants to, you know, throw it downfield. His his coaches are not giving him a running game, which puts more on Allen's plate. But if he was a great quarterback, he would be able to elevate those around him. They would have been to a Super Bowl. They would have been to more than one AFC championship game. They've got too good of a defense, and their division has been crap for the past couple years to not take advantage of it more so. Two of very accurate injury concerns, right? With the head, with some other things. System quarterback? He might have found the perfect system in Mike McDaniel's offense with Mostert and Wilson and A-Chain and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and Cedric Wilson and they have Chase Claypool now. A lot of talent in Miami. He is more than a facilitator. I'm not going to say he's oh, he's just, he's just a point guard del- delivering it. They're playing fast. He's throwing deep. He is looking re- he's looking very good, and that's what he is to me. He's not elite. He's not great. He's a very good quarterback. Aaron Rodgers hurt this year, 40 years old. I think it's fair to put him in the very good category. Look what he did the past couple years with the Packers, especially the last year with the Packers. Had a good amount of talent around him. Under 500 team. Couldn't win, couldn't beat Detroit at home to get into the playoffs. Lamar Jackson, very good quarterback. Dynamic quarterback. Not elite and not great. Both of those two quarterbacks, Mahomes and Burrow, have gone farther than Lamar Jackson. He of the one playoff victory in his career. Yes, he has an MVP. Yes, he's having a good season this year. But he's the type of quarterback that you have to build a specific offense around for his skill set. Now, this year, they're broadening that to help him open it up with his arm. But I'm comfortable with Lamar Jackson is a very good quarterback. Got to go deeper in the playoffs, man. You want to get out of the very good tier then you got to be able to put a team on your back more than just once. You have to be able to consistently transcend your team, the moment, the players you have to grit out a win or be the reason that you come back. Justin Herbert is not that. Justin Herbert has elite traits. He does. He's not an elite quarterback. He doesn't have a good head coach, but guess what? The head coach isn't calling offensive plays for him. That's Kellen Moore this year. And he's got weapons Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, Gerald Everett at tight end. They've got weapons. Yeah, it might not be his fault that Brandon Staley shits the bed sometimes, brain farts. The defense hasn't been that great. But again, if you want to be a leader, great. You got to offset that. You have to be the reason that your team's winning. Not the reason why you're keeping it close and not getting blown out. Jalen Hurts, one good year. One really good year. Borderline MVP year, right? This year, not as good. Eagles are winning, but not as good. Now, two two coordinators left, offensive and defensive. Jalen Hurts is a very good quarterback. There's no shame in that. And he's got weapons too. Swift, Goddard, Devontae Devontae, uh, Smith, and A.J. Brown. How good is Jalen Hurts somewhere else? You know, we can play, you got, everyone wants to play the game with Purdy and other quarterbacks. Oh, he's because of the weapons around him. All these good quarterbacks are very good in this category, have elite weapons around them. And that's okay. But Hurts not elite and he's not great. 
You start a team tomorrow, you're taking Mahomes and Burrow over Jalen Hurts. And Kirk Cousins, I know he blew out his Achilles. That has no bearing on what he's done so far. Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback. He is a very good quarterback in this league. Again, not elite, not a great, but a very, very good quarterback in this league. Vikings defense was historically bad last year. Still went, what, 13-4, and four, made the playoffs. Won a lot of close games. I understand that. Now we're doing regression to the mean. Lit up the Niners without Justin Jefferson. Kirk Cousins is such an underrated quarterback, it's almost criminal. He is a very good quarterback in the final one in this list. Now, above average, I'm not going to go through all these because it's just going to take too long. Above average quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, Deshaun Watson, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Brock Purdy, Kyler Murray, and Matthew Stafford. Some of them, you know, maybe they were a very good quarterback at one point, like a Stafford, like a Carr, like a Russell Wilson, but age has deteriorated their skills. Someone like a Trevor Lawrence, want to see more. Someone like a Dak Prescott who, who chokes in big moments. Yeah, great. He had a good game against Philly. Still haven't really won one. One playoff game with them? Two playoff games? With, with the talent that's always around that Cowboy team? Got to see more. Nothing wrong with above average, but if you want to jump to the next tier, got to see more. Deshaun Watson has been a disappointment with the Browns. Goff's had a nice resurgence. Carr uh, with the, was very good at times with the Raiders. Sometimes not so good. So he's kind of in the middle. Above average. Above average quarterback is not bad. And that's where I have Brock Purdy even being a Niner fan. He's above average. I think everybody that I had in elite, great, and very good, I would take over him. But there's nothing wrong with being an above average quarterback when there's only 32 of these jobs in the world. Now, who's average? Mac Jones, Ryan Tannehill, Gardner Minshew, Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, Jordan Love, Taylor Heineke, and Baker Mayfield. Pretty self-explanatory when you heard those names. Below average, I only have one. Sorry, Jet fans, it's Zach Wilson. I'm not going to call him poor. I'm not going to call him shit. He's a below average quarterback. And then here's the everyone else are too early to really put into a camp. Kenny Pickett. Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Aiden O'Connell of the Raiders, Sam Howell, Bryce Young, Desmond Ritter, although he probably is going to lean towards below average, and C.J. Stroud, who's had a great start to his career. Too early. We're still halfway through year one. Teams can adjust. Defensive coordinators can adjust, especially that year one to year two jump. But just back to the top, anyone wants to argue these and move some players around, obviously you can make your own list and do whatever you want. I hold the word elite as, a, as I put it on a pedestal. It's a sacred word to me. You got to be the best of the best to be elite. That doesn't mean there can only ever be one elite quarterback at a time. That's not what I'm saying. Right now, it's only Mahomes. And Burrow's going to get there. And some of you may say Burrow's lead already. That's fine. Doesn't have the hardware that that Mahomes does, and then quarterbacks that are very good. Your people that are falling in love with Josh Allen and Tua and Herbert and Jackson, you know they could be great one day. They're just not there yet, guys. This is like the NFL Hall of Fame. Every year, what seven or eight players get in based on voting and whatnot. It should not be that. 
Some years, it's okay if there's only three Hall of Fame-worthy players that get in, like Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. You have to get a certain percentage of the vote. There's been some years where no one's gotten in. And that's okay. This isn't, uh, you know, a thanks for playing. You know, you played for 14 years at quarterback or receiver or whatever, and you had really good stats. There could be a Hall of Fame. There could be a Hall of Great. There could be a Hall of Very Good, etc. But I'm not moving people in the latter two to the Hall of Fame just because they're eligible and we have to take eight people. Same with my rankings. Just because there are tiers of elite and great doesn't mean I need to put anyone in there that I don't think fits those categories. End soliloquy. But let's now conclude with Week 10 NFL Picks, the Thursday game for the national audience viewing pleasure on Amazon Prime. Al Michaels may actually hang himself at halftime. It's the Carolina Panthers at the Chicago Bears. This is the given up the first round pick game. Carolina giving it up along with DJ Moore to the Bears to draft um, Bryce Young. Brian Burns is out and their other starting defensive end is out also. The Bears are home. I will take Chicago. Indianapolis at New England, I think again from Germany or somewhere in Europe. Uh, Patriots are all sorts of lost. Indianapolis, not much better, but better enough to beat New England. Houston at Cincinnati. Again, proud of CJ Stroud, proud of what Houston's doing. Cincinnati is getting on a roll. Just got to make sure you're not peaking at the right time. There's a lot of football left. A lot of football left, but Cincinnati is obviously the better team than the Texans. New Orleans at Minnesota. Josh Dobbs did a really nice job filling in um, for not only Kirk Cousins, but... The quarterback that got hurt, um, Justin Jefferson's still out. New Orleans, D, the oh, New Orleans offense might have found something the past couple of weeks. I'll take them. I'm not even sure if they're favored or not, but I'll take them in Minnesota. Green Bay at Pittsburgh. Battle of the average quarterbacks and the too early to tell based on my rankings by virtue of it being home and the more dominant defense. I will take Pittsburgh. Tennessee at Tampa Bay. Will Levis, again, nice start to his career thus far. I'll take a little bit more consistency from Baker Mayfield and that offense and defense to get the win. San Francisco, I picked over Jacksonville. Cleveland at Baltimore. Cleveland tends to play Baltimore close, and I think that defense will give Baltimore problems, but I see Baltimore getting the win to extend their lead, at least over Cleveland in the AFC North. Atlanta over Arizona. So Heineke versus Kyler Murray. Let's, let's throw Arizona a bone here. Murray coming back off the ACL. Um, I think it's enough of a spark to get Arizona a win, and they, they're not going to be having many more wins this season, but I think this could be one of them. Detroit at the Chargers. Chargers won an ugly game against the Jets 27-6, and Detroit is a good football team. This is, I think, one of those situations where the, Char- like, the Lions aren't a national brand, right? Maybe in a couple of years, if they continue on this trajectory, more Lions fans will be coming out of the woodwork, but it could be one of those rare games in Los Angeles where there's actually more Charger fans than Lion fans. Not that that's going to be the deciding factor, but I think the Chargers behind Herbert, Eckler, Keenan Allen, we'll see if um, Josh Palmer or anybody is going to be coming back on the offensive side of the ball, but I think they will do enough to get the win. Dallas will annihilate the Giants because Tommy DeVito. Washington at Seattle, pulling for the Commanders. I think Seattle bounces back and is able to beat Washington. Although I think Sam Howell could have a pretty decent game against this Seattle defense. 
and this pretty good secondary. And as a side note, Seattle making the trade for Leonard Williams from the Giants. They signed Frank Clark off of waivers, so they beefed up their D-line, which just did nothing against the Ravens. But I think Seattle, tough place to play. I think that defense is much better than what it showed against Baltimore, and so is their offense. They'll beat Washington. Sunday night football, everybody enjoy nationally. The Jets, led by Zach Wilson against the Raiders in Las Vegas, led by Aiden O'Connell. Jets defense is going to be what keeps this close. I think the Paul, um, Paul Pierce, Antonio Pierce, Aiden O'Connell, and their new GM will have enough magic to carry over into this game to get the victory. And if things look bad at halftime, well, no, they're never going to put Tim Boyle in because Tim Boyle is trash. Unless they elevate, <laughs> unless they elevate Trevor Simeon to the active roster, uh, you're going to see Zach Wilson all game and nobody... I don't even think his mother even wants to see Zach Wilson all game for the Jets. Monday night, bad game, but not terrible. Denver at Buffalo. Give me the Bills. Again, Denver's been better, feisty. Williams has been playing, or Russell Wilson, excuse me, has been playing some efficient football. They're getting the running game going with Javante Williams and some Ajay Pirine and, and the rookie. Um, that's explosive that I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name. But I think the, the Bills... Uh, at home or in Denver, the better team will get the win. So that concludes the podcast for today and this week. Since we are coming off of the bye, just obviously doing a podcast on Wednesday. One of the reasons why I was releasing it on Wednesday. We will be back to two podcasts a week next week, either Monday or Tuesday. And then the second uh, episode dropping probably on a Thursday. So Football, some good games. Can the Niners get back on track against the Jaguars? What are the Jets going to look like? I'm just, and now because I'm in the Northeast, what are the Giants going to look like? They're probably both going to lose their games. Hopefully Washington beats Seattle. Um, and some other decent, decent games on the docket. I didn't get a chance to look at college football, but I'm sure I'll be watching some of that as well. But between now and then, when we talk early next week, everyone stay happy, healthy, and safe, and we will talk soon. Take care.